Lords of Limited is proud to be brought to you in part by StarCityGames.com. Not only are they the home of the top content and coverage on the web, they're also the world's largest independent retailer for Magic the Gathering singles and supplies. For more information, visit StarCityGames.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Lords of Limited. My name is Ben Warney, and joining me on the line is Ethan Sachs. Ethan, Modern Horizons draft, though, am I right? I mean, it exists. We're drafting it. I don't know. Uh, I don't know how it's going for us, though. It is tough out there. Ooh, yeah. I've got uh, myself in the non-Phantom queues. I think you've been grinding the Phantom queues, and both of us are. I think this is our rockiest start for each of us at the start of a format since we started the podcast. It is win rate wise, but I feel like I'm starting to gain some traction. I feel like I'm poised to break through and I think I understand the format a little bit more and I think I have stuff a little more clear in my head. So I'm looking forward to talking about it with you. I've talked to a bunch of other people, but I haven't gotten a chance to talk with you about it much. Yeah, that's true. Uh, We've got a lot of folks. Obviously, the Discord is really active right now with the first week of a new format. Got a lot of folks talking about it there. Uh, I think you've Skyped in with some folks on your stream as well this week. Yeah, I've had Ehedude on two nights ago, and Alex Corticals came on last night. So got two expert drafters' opinions on the format as well. Awesome. Well, I'm looking forward to soak up all the knowledge you have in store for us. Let's unfortunately get this out of the way. Let's check in on that trophy leaderboard. Mine is a bit of a yikes. So I'm 13 drafts deep, which is impressive because this might be the first time I've ever done the same amount of drafts as you at the start of a format. I think so. <laughs> I have a 23 and 13 overall record, one trophy, a 59% win rate. But silver lining is I've still been to the finals over half the time. So I've been seven finals appearances in my 13 drafts. I do not keep track of that, but I know that not to be true because I have quite a number of one twos and O twos. I am 13 drafts deep, 21 and 16, three trophies for a 57% win rate. Yeah, it's tough out there. And to give you an idea about the format, so two very good drafters, Lars Dam and Ben S. Lars Dam said the format was Zendikar fast and Ben S on his stream was like, eh, the format's kind of slow, I think. Yeah. It's tough to figure out. I do think I'm leaning more on the end of the fast side of things, but we're getting ahead of ourselves here. Yeah, we are. We have an exciting announcement this week, Ben. We have an addition to the Lords of Limited sponsorship team. We do. So Cedric Phillips, content coordinator for Star City Games, also has an apparel and design company called Coalesce, which we are proud to partner with to get our Lords of Limited t-shirts rolling out. So that's the place where you're going to go to buy our Lords of Limited t-shirts when they become available. It should be happening in the near future. So Coalesce Apparel and Design is Magic's newest apparel company. And in honor of LGBT Pride Month, Coalesce has teamed up on a brand new transgender awareness shirt with Autumn Burchett, winner of the first Mythic Championship and MPL member. All proceeds from those shirts are going towards Trans Lifeline, which is a national trans-led 501c3 organization dedicated to improving the quality of trans lives. Be sure to head over to coalesceapparel.shop to check out all their unique designs, and don't forget to pick up your Knights of Autumn shirt today. Can confirm I saw that shirt on Twitter, and it is sweet looking. Yeah, I will second that for sure. And our show is, of course, also brought to you by you, the listener, via the Patreon. Patreon.com slash Lords of Limited is where you can go to give back to the show if you so choose. Of course, the show will always be free. We try to give you guys a little bit of perks. The t-shirt that you'll be able to get from Coalesce is part of one of our stretch goals, the most recent one that we completed. So that's very exciting. And we always try and give back to our listeners just a little bit. 
of course, the base level. Everyone who gives back to the show gets access to the Lords of Limited Discord. We talk about it each and every week. There's some other exciting stuff that you get access to. You get access to our show notes, get a little sneak peek of the episode as we're sort of like creating it during the week. You also get to see that in written form, follow along in the episode, check back in on it on later weeks. You get to see our draft spreadsheets. Sometimes they're exciting, like in War of the Spark. Sometimes they are a bit of a yikes, like in Modern Horizons right now, but whatever, you get a lot of data from both me and Ben. You also get access to hero tier private chat, which is just a more intimate setting for folks who want direct lines to both me and Ben and perhaps other folks that are like-minded. So we've got a lot of really good stuff going on in the Patreon, in the Discord. Highly recommend checking it out if you are a fan of the show. And of course, we want to shout out each and every new patron the first week that they join. I got to enlist Ben to help me out here. We've got quite a few folks that we want to welcome to the fray this week. We want to welcome Larry, Titan 9, Jonathan, Miles, Jamie, Audie, Brian, Ashford, Gintz, Christopher, Will, Martin, Wells, Simon, Mark, Chris C, Noel, Sebastian, Molly, Will P, Tim, Harrison, Sager, Kevin, Chris F, Robert, Jesse, Greg, Sheehan, Drew, Haldor and Endo Jackson. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We really appreciate your support. Cannot say thank you enough, and I cannot say thank you enough to the Lords of Limited Discord. I really felt out of sorts at the start of this format, like sort of similar to Dominaria, where like I would just look at a pack and I would have no idea really what I was supposed to pick. And after talking to a bunch of people in the Discord and asking questions, I feel like I've honed in on where I want to be in the format and just seeing other people re-rank their top commons and talk about the format it has been a huge boon. And I really, really, really appreciate the Discord for helping me get out of my slump in this format. Yeah, I will agree with that. I don't think I've used the Discord quite this way yet since it's been like so explosive. And it felt great to have this as a resource to just keep checking in. And especially since we expanded all those channels, like you were talking about last week, just when you want to go in and be like, oh, I want to see some draft logs and see what people are doing. Or I just want to like look through all the trophy decks or I want to talk to people about what's the picks or whatever. Like you have all those things at your disposal in these very neat little channels. Yeah, it has been extremely helpful. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Discord. All right. Well, I think the best way to springboard our discussions for this week about Modern Horizons, which is all we'll be doing this week. No, no War of the Spark. Sorry, Warrior. You'll have to be on the back burner till next week is to maybe take a look at a roundtable. Yeah, I've got a tough one here that I think I navigated pretty poorly. And I think there's a much better route through it now that I have sort of a different mental frame for the format. So would you like to sit down and see if you can draft better than I did? I would love to. All right. Pack one, pick one. We've got a few cards in consideration, but not many here because our rare is pretty busted. First is Trumpeting Herd, two green green for a sorcery. Create a 3-3 green elephant creature token with rebound. Magmatic Sinkhole, five and a red for the instant with delve. It deals five damage to target creature or planeswalker. Undead Augur, black black for the 2-2. Whenever it or another zombie you control dies, draw a card and you lose a life. And your rare is Winds of Abandon. One white, and it's essentially path to exile with overload. So you can exile target creature you don't control at sorcery speed. This controller can search up a basic land, and you can cast it for overload of four white white to path to exile plague wind your opponent. I believe Winds of Abandon is the pick, but I also believe that overloading it, unless you're winning that turn, is not great. I I disagree. <laughs> I mean, I've done it and had it done to me, and both times the player has lost. 
That's interesting. I mean, the hand of the opponent has to be pretty stacked for that to be true. Well, I mean, and also you have to have something to follow up with or have like enough on board to punish it. But much like Settle the Wreckage in Limited, when you're pulling like five lands out of your library, if you're not dead immediately, you're just drawing gas the rest of the game. Right. Theoretically, that's a big enough advantage that you're going to win the game. I've had it done to me and I've been able to triple or quadruple spell the turn afterwards and it still wasn't quite enough to come back. Oh, wow. Yeah, I still think Winds of Abandon is the pick here for sure. All right, moving on to pack one, pick two. The following cards are in contention. Venomous Changeling, two and a black for the one, three with Changeling and Death Touch. Pyrophobia, one and a red for the sorcery. Pyrophobia deals three damage to target creature. Cowards can't block this turn. Cross and Tusker, five green green for the six, five with cycling two and a green. And when you cycle it, you can search your library for a basic land card and put it into your hand. And I think that's it, really. Oh, so there are two cards else in this pack that I want to talk about. One is Webweaver Changeling, which I like better than Crimson Tusker. That's three green green for a three five Changeling with reach. And then a little bit of flavor text of when it ETBs and there are three or more creature cards in your graveyard, you gain five life. That's just gravy. And Scale Up is in the pack. And this is a card that uh, I was talking to Beers SC, who was a longtime member of, uh, I think, both of our Twitch chats and then a recent member of the Discord. And he, I was asking him, like, hey, any last-minute thoughts about the format before we record tomorrow, because I'd love to get your input. And he's doing pretty well. And he said that scale-up is kind of a sleeper. He thinks, like, every green deck wants it, and it's a really strong card. And this is the, until end of turn, target creature you control becomes a worm with base power toughness 6-4, but it has overload for 4 green green as sort of an overrun effect. Yeah, I have been impressed with scale up from my opponents, and it's on my radar now. I also saw that post from Beers. Web Weaver Changeling, I'm a little down on. I don't think green does a great job of taking advantage of the changeling. So I think a lot of the time it's just a five mana, three, five reach. Yeah, maybe that's fair. I don't know. I just feel like changeling, like every time I think, oh, this doesn't, this isn't going to have any applications. And then something comes up. I'm like, oh, that, that counts for that. Nice. So maybe I'm overrating it. This is tough. I feel like I'm hanging on to my original thoughts of the format, looking at this pack and being like, oh, these green cards look good. But I think you're just supposed to take Pyrophobia as like a cheap, efficient removal spell. That's where I'm at. That was not where I was at at the time. So I took Crosin Tusker in the heat of the moment because I think Crosin Tusker is a powerful card and it helps you splash. But I don't think either of those things are necessarily what you want to be doing in the format. Taking turn three off to land cycle Crosin Tusker feels pretty miserable. I really feel like you want to be impacting the board on turn three. The format's sort of similar to war that way in that you want to get on board or you want to have cheap removal. And I think Pyrophobia is the second best common overall. And I think it's a clear slam dunk for me here now. I, I don't even think this pick is particularly close for me. I would be on Pyrophobia as well. Nice. So screw that one up. Moving on to <laughs> pack one, pick three. See the following cards as options. Another Venomous Changeling. That's the one three Death Toucher Changeling. Pyrophobia again. And then in the uncommons, Conifer Worm. Four and a green for the four four trample. Three and a green activated ability to give it plus X plus X until end of turn where X is the number of snow permanence you control. I mean, I think having taken Pyrophobia number one in pack two, I would slam Pyrophobia number two here in pack three. And I think you would be drafting correctly. I did not. So in hindsight, I would slam the second Pyrophobia here. Originally, when I went through the draft, I took Conifer Worm after taking Crosin Tusker because I think it's a really powerful payoff for the snow deck. And I think worth picking highly and moving into snow four. But I think Pyrophobia just as a cheap, efficient removal spell is better than it. And I think pack one, pick one, I would be on Pyrophobia over Conifer Worm as well now. Yeah. Moving on to pack one, pick four. See the following cards as options. There's a Savage Swipe, single green for the sorcery. Target creature you control gets plus two, plus two until end of turn. If its power is two, then it fights target creature you don't control. 
There's Rocks Veteran, three and a white for the two four with Battle Cry. Whenever it attacks, tap target creature and opponent controls. Pondering Mage, three blue blue for the three four. When it ETBs, look at the top three cards of your library, put them back in any order. You may shuffle and then draw a card. And another scale up, as well as Tribute Mage, two and a blue for the two two. When it ETBs, you can search your library for an artifact with converter mana cost two exactly. Reveal that card, put it in your hand, then shuffle your library. Yeah, so no red cards to speak of except for like Quakefoot Cyclops. That's the five mana four four with cycling one and a red. And when you cycle it, target creature can't block this turn. And when you cast it as just the four four, two creatures can't block this turn. But I don't think you want to take that this early, though it might be defensible just to stay red. I think you still just want to maybe try and take the most powerful card out of the pack, which I guess is Rocks Veteran. I think Rocks Veteran slots in nicely in white red if that's the direction you end up and it's just a powerful card in general, though I think I'm lower on it than everyone else is, but I think I'm trying to come around on it. That's one of the cards I'm trying to correct myself on. So I think maybe Rocks Veteran is the pick here. Yeah, I've got Rocks Veteran as the best white common, and I think no reason for me to deviate from my bomb rare in Winds of Abandon when there's one of the top white commons here. So happy to slam Rocks Veteran. And I originally took Savage Swipe. So I think I just debated myself out of this great white-red deck that exists in the seat. So I kind of incorrectly moved into green for Cross and Tusker and then sort of compounded some wrong picks here early in the draft and then ultimately ended up settling into base green teamer deck, kind of double splashing blue and red, had two Thundering Gins, but I had a really wonky curve and was really relying on cycling Cross and Tusker on three to help fix my mana, none of which is what you really want to be doing in the format. So I think I just passed up a very good white-red slivers lane. So there's a route you can take through the draft for the next few picks where you go blade back sliver into magmatic sinkhole into cleaving sliver into wheeling a sliver and it's just very clear red white lane and i think i passed that up incorrectly in this draft yeah that's good to know i mean it's also interesting that this format is only a few days old and already you're like wow i have a totally different pick order and different route through this draft even a few days later yeah and i think that's a testament to conversations with folks in the discord and getting a lot of feedback there on picks and talking to folks All right, well, let's see if we can try and course correct after today and talk about the format and sort of some general impressions, and then we'll look at some specific cards towards the end. So is this a Prince or a Popper format, Ben? I am hard on Popper format. There are some busted Mythic rares, and there are some good rares. This is nowhere near War of the Spark, and we were kind of on War of the Spark as a Popper format. (laughs) This is, I would say, a Popper synergy format. There are a lot of junky commons that are really low on power level individually that you're really trying to maximize in the right archetype. Yeah, I agree. And how about number of lands? Where have you been at running number of lands? I have been fluctuating a little bit, mostly between 17 and 18 lands. I've been 17 most of the time, and then 18 when I've had a few land cyclers, just because those can help to mitigate flood and mitigate screw. Like, you know, if you run number of land, X number of lands, then you know that you're going to hit your land drops. But then if you draw the cycling lands later, you can always just cash them in for an extra card. And I did actually run 16 lands yesterday in a trophy deck, a blue red deck that had a bunch of the one mana creature cyclers. So I just wanted to make sure I wasn't flooding out because I was usually trying to cycle those to trigger my cards that cared about drawing multiple cards a turn. Yeah, I think a fairly normal format that way, though, generally 17 lands. And I agree. I agree. The couple times I've had cycling lands, I've gone up to 18. And what about speed of the format? 
This is a tough one. It really is matchup dependent. I think I'm settling on the format is fairly quick and the things can snowball really quickly. Like your advantage starts to get out of the control, sort of like an uncontested planeswalker in War of the Spark. You know, if the synergy archetypes get to do their thing successively every turn, it just keeps getting more and more and more powerful. So I think you really need to get on board early, but there are some decks that can really grind and have engines, I think, like synergy engines that just do stuff that is unbeatable over the course of the long game. So having a late game engine is also pretty valuable. And if you can pack a late game engine into a deck that has good early game, I think that's a really good place to be. I think a good example of that is the green white creature fall deck that is generally like a curve out beat down deck, but also just intrinsically wants both Squirrel Nest and Bellowing Elk, which are really powerful together. Squirrel Nest being the one green green enchantment that enchants land and makes a 1-1 every turn, or you can tap to make a 1-1. And Bellowing Elk is the 4-2 that says if a creature entered the battlefield this turn, it gains trample and indestructible. So you just get this 4-2, and unless you're against basically green, I think, a 4-2 with trample and indestructible can't really be blocked. You can put a creature in front of it to die, but you're not going to have five toughness creatures don't really come along in this format. Yeah, they are, big things are hard to come by. And I think the other thing that you can do with that is just hold it back on blocks and you have a trample indestructible that the opponent can't attack into if you want to activate Squirrel Nest on the opponent's turn. Yeah. So I just want to like sort of double down on what you were just saying about board presence being important because I think the format is pretty snowbally. Two drops are really important. And unlike in War of the Spark, in this format, there are a lot of good ones, I think. But that doesn't like diminish their value. I just I still think they're very important. But there aren't a lot of clunkers. There aren't just a lot of like two mana two ones. Even the white one, the one and a white three one changeling. I'm actually kind of happy to play that sometimes because it's a changeling. I agree. That card has not felt bad. And I think stumbling gets punished so hard by a number of commons, like Mana War in particular, Trumpeting Herd, that's the two green green, make a three three with rebound. If you're doing nothing or if you're like cycling your Crows and Tusker and then your opponent does that and they're like, I'm going to have six power and toughness on the board next turn. That's huge. It's really hard to come back from that. Did you realize that Trumpeting Herd is a throwback to Call the Herd? Yes, I did. And that it costs less mana? Uh-huh. And Call the Herd was already busted? Well, Call the Herd was, was so Ben and I are talking about this card. Call the Herd was a two and a green, make a three, three with flashback three and a green, right? Yes. And this is just four mana to make a three, three and then make another one next turn for free. That is insane. Once I framed it that way in my head, I was like, whoa. That card was in cube for a while too. Yeah. So there's just a lot of things that like help you pull ahead pretty quickly, even just at common. And that's not even getting into like the build around uncommons or like the busted rares. And so you really just, if you stumble, you feel like things can get out of hand pretty quickly. I think the Snow Matters deck also has that sort of feel to it. If it gets the ball rolling, it can get ahead because if it's synergizing correctly, it's going to like be reaping the benefits of all the bonuses for the Snow Matters stuff. I feel like the deck that feels the most snowbally is ninjas. Once my ninjas opponent gets one hit in with a ninja that draws them a card or something like that, I just feel like I have no chance the rest of the game. Yeah, that deck is tough because it it's going to do its busted thing on turn two or three. And then you're even if you are like affecting the board, you can just make one sort of incorrect thought about like, oh, I'm racing or oh, I don't want to block here. I'll block next turn when I have mana up. If you don't evaluate that correctly, you can be in for a world of hurt. Yep, I lost a match because I attacked the wrong time once against a ninja's deck. and It still burned into my brain. Yeah. 
I also think the format is highly synergistic. I mean, you talked about this, you that it's a popper format with synergy. I don't think that piles of cards are where you want to be at. You've really got to build a greater than the sum of its parts deck, which has been really hard for me. I've wanted to do that. I know in my head I'm supposed to do that, but a lot of my drafts have not resulted with me being able to find a deck that is that. I agree with that completely. The same thing feeling of okay i've seen these decks i know they're synergistic i want to be synergistic it's tough to get it all to come together and i think i've consistently been gunning for decks that look like trophy decks and i just don't think you get decks like that draft in and draft out if you're drafting correctly and i think the other thing that we're going to talk about a little bit later in the episode is that there's a sort of a continuum of synergy versus power some colors really want to be synergistic but green really does not and I think thinking about it that way and remembering that green is relying on raw power a little more than synergy has really helped me out as well. Yeah, I agree with that. I've got my early front runners for best decks. Um, I think the top of the heap are filled again like War of the Spark a little bit. The Grixis color pairs, I think with blue red as the best of the bunch, but I still like I think the Ninjas deck is nutty and I think the red black deck is nutty. I also like blue white and white green quite a bit. Yeah, I haven't felt bad about any of the color pairs yet. There's nothing I'm really trying to avoid. And maybe I should be trying a little harder to stay out of green, but I think the green decks are good too. And I think I know how to build the green decks a little bit better now. I was building these dirtily splashy green decks and just not getting on board early enough. And I think you can still, there is still like a multicolor green deck, but I think you have to be a lot more responsible with how you build it. Yeah, that makes sense to me. And I do think that the format incentivizes similar deck building to War of the Spark, which is weird because I did really well in War of the Spark and not well here. But from the beginning, I was building decks that way in the War of the Spark. And the decks I was building in this format in the beginning would not have done well in War of the Spark. And I'm trying to ask myself when I'm done with the draft, would this deck perform well in War of the Spark against Planeswalkers? And I think if the answer to that is yes, you probably have a better looking deck in Modern Horizons 1, with the exception or the upside of cheap removals even better in this format, because, you know, in War of the Spark, your cheap removal can't interact with Planeswalkers, but here it interacts with the creatures, which is what you need to interact with in the early turns. Do you have any feelings about best and worst color in the format? I think blue is the best and deepest color. I feel pretty strongly about that. I think white and green are lagging a little bit behind the rest of the pack. Black and red feel very good. But again, I'm not, it's not to the point where I'm trying to not be any color at the moment. And maybe that's a leak on my part, but I don't feel badly about being any color. I think I agree with that. I'm a little lower on white than green. You know, none of its commons, spoiler alert, come close to cracking the top five commons overall. But I do still think that I'm happy to play it. Like I'm happy in, to be in blue, white and white green. So I, it's not that I've written the color off or anything. I think it synergizes well in the format. I just think it's commons are, are much weaker than the rest. So I've got some thoughts here that I'm just going to sort of like word vomit out. And if you want to chime in or like tell me I'm wrong or off base, please let me know. But these have been my experiences in draft. So the snow deck seems very strong to me, but it seems very fragile, right? It's too unreliable in my opinion to be able to draft the deck in the way you need to which is to be able to be like all right i'm going to take this permanent and then i'm going to wheel this snow land or whatever i've had weird really wonky signals in draft where like a snow land will be gone pick four but there's a snow payoff in the pack and then a snow land is there in like pick eight or like a snow land wheels it's very hard for me to be confident that i'm at a table of people who are drafting quote unquote correctly for like that deck to come together. I think it's powerful, but I'm basically off trying to get into that deck at this point. 
I am also off trying to get into that deck. So it, I've drafted it twice, and it's exciting. You barely make playables. <laughs> uh, I, I do enjoy that part of it. I'm at the point where I do not want to be taking Snowlands highly. To get into the snow deck, I want to be taking good blue and green cards, and then I want to be wheeling the Snowlands. And I think that's the only way the deck is really going to be great. And if you're not reliably wheeling the blue and the green Snowlands, I don't think you can really draft that archetype, nor should you be drafting that archetype. Yeah, and the like wonkiness of the the Snowlands in particular leads me to my next point, which is that I am finding signals very difficult to read and draft right now, partially because of the Snowlands. I course corrected this pretty quickly. I think the Cycling Lands are very high picks. Um, I think you maybe think they're a little lower. Yeah, I've come down on them a little bit. I was really high on them with you. Here's the thing about Cycling Lands, and I, tell me if you think this is just logical fallacy. I recognize that the Cycling Lands are crazy powerful, but I think they don't lead you down an archetype. And I think by taking the cycling lands early, you're avoiding the cards that really reward you the most in archetypes. Like if you're picking the if you're picking the cycling lands picks one through five, I think which is where their power level is, you're missing out on cards that are highly synergistic or highly powerful in the format. And yes, the cycling lands are intrinsically powerful on their own. But I really don't want at this point to take them over cards that push me down or towards a lane or towards a deck. That's really interesting. I actually think I agree with that. Maybe with the exception of the blue and the red one, because they actually do go well in the blue red drawing cards matters deck. I would add green to the list as well, because it's so good in the red green lands deck. Oh, yeah, that's true. Okay, so maybe if uh, unless you don't have like an application for them, they, they go down a little bit. That makes sense to me. I think I agree with that idea of like, you're taking them during the time where you should be taking the powerful cards like the gold uncommons, like taking a thundering gin to see if blue red is open or the unicorn to see if green white is open, that sort of thing. And that leads to your next point, which is that people are not hedging appropriately for the gold uncommons, most of which are incredibly important to each archetype. And I have experienced that as well. And we're in different queues. I'm in the phantom, you're in the big boy queues. <laughs> which is unusual for us. Yeah. But I have experienced the same thing, like just wheeling soul herders or wheeling, you know, a thundering gin or wheeling the blue black ninja card where somebody should have left themselves an out to be in that deck. And I haven't found this to be the case, but I feel like watching you is I found it to be the case that like feels like sometimes you're drafting against bots in that like pack one black will be open and then in pack three, there's not a black card to be seen. That has happened to me several times. It's been pretty frustrating, <laughs> but I, I don't know. That might just be bad luck. Maybe, but like that doesn't make sense. Like if a color is open in the first pack, it should be open in the third pack. Except maybe people are struggling as much as we are. So that's why signals are wonky. Yeah. So yeah, I, I have just found reading drafts and figuring out and because like I've ended the draft and been like, well, that felt like a train wreck. And then I go back through the log and I'm like, I don't know what I was supposed to do differently. Right. This next point, uh, I think we're going to be in a little bit of a disagreement about, and I'd love to have you talk me off the ledge here, but I think cards that look good on face value, but don't add anything to an archetype are worse than people think. Wall of Blossoms, the one in a green 04 that ETBs and draws a card. That's a good card, but I don't know what deck actively wants that. And Ravenous Giant, the two red red 5-5 that deals you a damage on your upkeep. That's a huge card. And maybe I'm just undervaluing keyword big here because the format sort of just has a bunch of small good creatures, but not a lot of good big creatures but this doesn't synergize in any of the decks i agree neither of those cards are high on synergy i do think wall of blossoms has a place in the format where you're drafting that green multicolored deck and you want to get on board early with a blocker to not get run over i think that's the place for wall of blossoms okay ravenous giant i think is just a card you're going to play in most red decks after 
I sort of floated that same idea when Ehedud was on the line. Mm-hmm. And he was like, but the card's just big. It's bigger than everything else on turn four, and your opponent's going to have to deal with it, which is true. I mean, that's still a... Juzum Jin is a powerful card, mm-hmm. and I think you're going to play that in every red deck, and picking it early leaves you the flexibility to see which red archetype is open then. So like taking that as a powerful card, and then you can figure out you know, whether you're red-white or red-blue or whatever, and you're going to be happy with it in any of those red color pairs. I think that's how I'm framing that card in my head right now. Yeah, that's fair. I think I might be a little too low on that card. I've just found not only is it not synergistic, but that the four-drop slot gets clogged. I mean, that's just sort of a thing. I feel like flying is good and limited, and four-drops are plentiful. I feel like are things that are <laughs> going to be true in every limited format. And I feel that way here. I'm like, well, it's also in contention with Rocks Veteran and the Cleaving Sliver and Trumpeting Herd. And like, is it better than those things? I don't know. So those are all real questions. I agree with that. I think you also need to make sure in this format that you have sideboard options. I have found that I've been frustrated with myself because the drafts have gone so wonky that I don't actually have good sideboard options at the end of a draft. So when I'm like facing down a Squirrel Nest and I don't have a Geomancer's Gambit, like these cards that I should be picking up late to just like, be able to have an answer to something or some sort of disenchant effect at the end of the draft to take care of a mythic sword or a pacifism claustrophobia effect. It's really important. And I think you want to make sure that you have the options in the draft to pick those up. Yep, I agree completely with all of that. I've got a few thoughts for you as well. My first is that I would want to be proactive more than I want to be reactive in the format. And I think the best possible thing to do in the format is to try to advance your game plan or to try to get your game plan to snowball a little bit while simultaneously disrupting the opponent with double spelling by cheap interaction. So the one mana blue bounce spell Spring of Disappearances has gone way up in my pick order, single blue for the instant to return target creature to its owner's hand, and then has sort of the chain lightning effect where the opponent can pay blue blue. Or if you bounce your own thing, you can pay blue blue to bounce two of your things, which also works well in conjunction with mana war and stuff like that. There's shenanigans to do with String of Disappearances just in your own synergy also with bouncing your own creatures so i think that gives that card a lot more power and flexibility and then stuff like defile single black for the instant minus one minus one for the number of swamps you control the turns that you get to double spell early with cheap interaction like that feel like game breaking turns to let you get your thing going and stop the opponent from doing theirs I agree 100%. I think that idea of like things that help you get on board and impact the opponent's board is why you and I have Man of War, spoiler, as the number one common in the format. Card is so gross, and it's just good everywhere. It's not. It looks like, okay, this goes in blue-white blink. It is just fantastic everywhere. The other thing I've felt is that I really want to be aggressive or have like a really strong late game engine, I haven't loved being in the middle of the pack with mid-range so far. I want to be doing a thing. Yeah, and I think decks that slant towards mid-range, I feel like red-green is an example of that, that like maybe it looks like just mid-range big dudes with like the land and graveyard synergies. I think you want to build that deck and other decks in the format that may lead you down this path on one of those two ends of the spectrum. Like really try and be like, all right, I want to, I'm drafting this deck and I'm going to like reap the rewards of some busted land synergies late in the game. And so I'm going to build it with that in mind, or I'm going to build it as a curve out beat down deck. Yeah. And then just some notes on some stuff I've undervalued. I think that I've tried to course correct on, you know, in talking with Sasha and Alex, First of which is Changeling and Sliver overlap without being full on slivers. Just picking up a random cleaving sliver, which is the three and a red two two that gives all your slivers plus two plus oh. The interaction between that and Changelings and leaving yourself the flexibility to have like a four to five to six card 
changeling sliver package in your deck without being full-on red-white slivers. I think I've been undervaluing that. The overlap of changelings and creature types in the Mardu colors, the fact that changeling is intrinsically powerful, especially in the Mardu colors. Cheap interaction, I've come way up on that, and I think that's going to help a ton. Pondering Mage, Sasha is pretty high on. Court of Calls is not. I think I'm somewhere in the middle. As a super relevant body, that's the three blue blue, three four that lets you essentially cast Ponder when it ETBs, which is just a rock solid body, blocks Trumpeting Herd really well, and it's just a guaranteed two for one. It's a powerful card, I think. And then just Slivers in general. For whatever reason, I've never liked that card type or that deck because it just feels so obvious (laughs) and easy to interact with and fragile. But I think Slivers are powerful in this format. And I think the white-red Sliver deck is the real deal. Yeah, I agree with all that. I think the the thing I most want to just double down on here is that Slivers in decks where like that's not your main game plan is still totally fine. And I'm going to bring up this blue red deck that I drafted yesterday that just like had six slivers in it, you know, like two of the rummaging slivers, two of the cleaving slivers, and then I think two of the blade back slivers, the ones that can ping your opponent when you're hellbent. You know, you don't have to be full on slivers for those cards to be good. Like a lot of those cards are just good. The rummaging slivers synergize with your blue red wanting to draw cards and just like a four mana four two in the format isn't that bad so cleaving sliver is fine on its own and if it buffs other stuff that's good and i think blade back sliver is just also really good as a rock solid two drop that has relevance in the late game yeah i think that's the important thing is that cleaving sliver's fail case is just a fine card that you're not embarrassed to play and there's a few things that i've overvalued as well that i've really course corrected on one of which is cross and tusker i don't think that card's good in the format yeah if you want to ramp and fix, I think the Spring Bloom Druid is just where you want to be. I think it's just better at doing what Cross and Tusker wants to do. And I think Cross and Tusker's power comes from, you know, seven mana, you get a six five. I think a seven mana six five is garbage in this format. Yeah, I agree with that. I also think that unlike in War of the Spark, where I felt like if I couldn't get into the Grixis color pairs, then like green XXXX was a really good deck to get into because it allowed you to reap the benefits of all the powerful stuff you were getting past. Whereas I think a lot of the powerful stuff you're getting past in this format doesn't just like go in a hodgepodge deck. All the gold uncommons really just go in their own decks at their best. Like even splashing a Thundering Gin isn't optimal because you want to make sure that you have the support for it to be able to at least deal two damage on its attacks to pick off creatures i don't think that going like all right i'm just going to draft green something and then be five colors that deck doesn't really get supported at anything other than rare right i agree and i think spring bloom druid is just better than cross and tusker the three mana one one body you cast harrow when it etbs so you sack a land and you can go search up two lands it lets you double splash if you do get past a really powerful card I think it does way more of what you want to do in green than Crows and Tusker does. And the 1-1 body as a chump blocker to make sure you don't die in the meantime is also really valuable as well. Yes. Cycling lands, we talked about that. I think I've come down on those a little bit, and I think correctly so. And I think other people are probably still too low on them, but between other people being really low on them, and I think I was way too high on them, and I think the truth is probably somewhere in the middle. Yeah, that's. I feel like I didn't actually make this point when I was bringing them up, but I was taking them as signals early on because, or I was just like taking them highly out of packs because I think people were undervaluing them. I still think people are undervaluing them, but I also don't take them as signals. Like I would have on day one been like, oh, this lonely sandbar, this blue cycling land is coming around third pick. That means like blue might be open, but I, I, w- I just wouldn't consider that right now. And similarly, I think in the same vein, I've been overvaluing the rare sacrifice lands. I think you only want those if you want to be controlling. Taking a damage is a real cost in this format. And I think 
you need to be willing to pay that cost before you're excited about that land, you know, maybe being half on color and going to draw you a card. And I think the rare cycling, the rare sacrifice lands are just worse than the cycling lands. Yeah, I'm into that. And so this brings me to my next thing, which I think really helped my brain get situated and it's just sort of a good review for any synergy format. So I just have a general framework for pick orders in the set. And I think just every synergy set, these are good rules to sort of live by. And I really struggle. And I know that about myself. I struggle in high synergy formats more than I do in other formats. So the first of which is you want to be picking first intrinsically powerful cards, your bombs, your cheap, efficient removal. Those are the things you want to take first in this format. Second, synergy cards that go in multiple decks that allow you the ability to pivot or keep multiple lanes open longer. So a synergy card that goes in all four color pairs is way better than a synergy card that goes in one to two color pairs. So you want the cards that go in the most decks earlier than the cards that go in one deck only, unless that card that goes in the one deck only is crazy powerful, like Rot Widow Spider or Thundering Jin or whatever. Those are cards you need to pick early and often. But when you're trying to get the fillerish commons and uncommons, you want the ones that are more flexible. And that's why cards like Changeling go way up in value and random slivers go way up in value, because you're going to be able to get pockets of synergy in your deck from those cards, no matter what color pair you are, I think. I like that. Pockets of synergy. That's a court of call saying right there. Ooh, all right. And third, you want to then hone in on the narrower synergy cards that only go in one or two decks, but are good there. And then ultimately settling into an archetype or a deck with a specific plan with all of the cards working together cohesively towards a goal as much as possible. And I think that's been the part I've had trouble with. And I think I've been a little too impatient in draft trying to find my lane and a little too patient <laughs> last night. One time, Alex and I audibled into slivers in pack three Wow, <laughs> and still got there on playables because it was wide open. But I think just being willing to have that approach and to try to find your lane and to understand that you're not always going to have the nuts looking blue black ninja deck. Sometimes you're going to have the green trumpeting herd deck and that's going to be what your seat wants to do and that that's okay as well. Something that I'm interested in doing is figuring out like what the best plan B is for an archetype. If I'm trying to get into blue black ninjas and that nuts version doesn't get there, like what am I supposed to do that's the second best? Because it's not play weak sauce ninjas. <laughs> I think there's like something else I'm supposed to be trying to do rather than just be like, all right, I'm playing uh, this 6-3 ninja, which I guess is fine, but I just don't think that's like what the best version of those decks are doing. I will say that's something else that's come up as well. I think some of the ninjas are just fine. Find a good in like a non blue black ninja deck. I've been very impressed by the smoke shaper. I think it is the three and a black three, three that ninjutsus for one and a black and give something indestructible. Mm -hmm. I think that card's just a good card. That's close to cracking the top black commons for me now. Whoa. And I think that I think that six power ninja is also just a fine way to like have a body as well as be sort of a pseudo lava axe. Yeah, I think those are both totally fair points. And I think as far as what you were talking about for backup plans, I had a blue-black non-ninja deck <laughs> yesterday, and it sort of looked, it was sort of had card draw synergy. I think you're going to get synergy somewhere, and it was weird. Like, blue and black were open, but it didn't feel like ninjas were open. So I had a good deck that made it to the finals and barely lost. It was a powerful deck, so I do think there are backup plans like that. And I think, man, I think the format's super deep, because you're just, you're not going to get a nuts synergy deck for your color pair every time, I don't think. And then so the next thing I really got out of the Discord and specifically talking with Court of Calls, also known as Alex last night when he was on stream, is that sort of thinking about this idea of colors wanting to be more synergistic than others. So I was just on this format as a synergy format. And I think a better way to frame it is that there's sort of a synergy 
to power continuum and the colors lie somewhere along that spectrum. So the thinking about the fact that blue wants synergy the most, like all of the blue decks are highly synergistic. Blue, white, blink is I think the least of them, but then blue, green, snow is super synergy. Blue, red, draw cards, super synergy. Blue, black ninjas, super synergy. You're going to be playing some cards that are really individually not powerful, but are really powerful in the context of your deck. And then sort of along that spectrum, Black and red, I think, are the next most synergistic colors sort of equal to each other. And then white is a little bit less synergistic than those. And green is the least synergistic. So to get white and green decks to function better, you do need to take powerful cards, just intrinsically powerful cards higher. Trumpeting Herd, not a super synergistic card, but it is raw power. And you can still win with raw power in the format as well. Nice. I really like this little continuum here. Yeah, it's really helped me wrap my brain around like what's going on in the format. And then I think expanding from that, I sort of last night on my own and floated this by Alex, but sort of came up with a color pair synergy to power continuum as well. So for each archetype, where you want more synergy and where you want less synergy. And so on the synergy side of things, the most synergistic blue, black and blue, red sort of equal to each other, then blue, green, snow, then red, black sacrifice, then blue, white, blink. And then sort of equal to each other, red-white slivers, black-white changelings, moving into where you start to rely on power way more, green-white creature fall, green-red lands, and green-black, I think, is just the deck where you intrinsically want the most raw power. That makes a lot of sense. You know, it's funny, you mentioned like that you felt like you've struggled in synergy formats before, and I feel like I'm the opposite. Like, I think synergy formats sit well with me. I really like doing that. But I think my problem is, you know, both of us are identifying what those trophy decks look like and what like optimal versions of each of these archetypes looks like. But I think the key for me in this next week is trying to figure out that plan B, like what happens when you're in that color pair, but you're not getting the nuts version. What should that deck look like? I think that's going to be the key to me getting success over this next week. Yeah. And I think we want to dive into some card specifics as well before we re-rank the top commons. So first up is Lesser Masticore. You were onto this before I was, but I am on board as well. Lesser Masticore is a straight up B, B plus. It's a colorless two drop with persist and has potential to take over the late game. Sometimes you play against blue decks that have mana wars and you need to decide it out. But I think the upside is there and I think you're supposed to start it. And I don't think you should be scared of running it out on turn two. And this card plays very nicely with the two and a blue mage that can tutor it up. Yep, have had the pleasure of doing that already. Crypt Rats has not been as impressive as I think it's been in formats before. And I'm wondering if you and Alex talked about this last night. I think the power level is high on this card, but it doesn't synergize anywhere, which is a knock against it. There's deck building requirements for the card, right? You have to be drafting a heavy black deck. And it's a sweeper that requires setup. You usually have a window of opportunity for your opponent to interact with it. And if they can, it feels really bad because like in theory, you've crafted your game around wrathing with this card or whatever. And then if they disrupt that, it's kind of game over. Yeah, I, I have not felt great about Crypt Rats. I think it has too many restrictions on it to really be powerful. The black mana, first and foremost, has been really annoying because sometimes I've had Crypt Rats, but I've not been able to get deep enough into black to really make it powerful. Right. You want 10, 11 black sources before it's really reliably getting up to four damage, which is when it's really sweeping things. Mm -hmm. It's just been tough. I, I agree it's a powerful card. I don't, I don't love it. I'm a little lower on it than the rest of the world. I think I'm on it as... B minus, I might even put it in C plus territory. I think B minus is probably right. It probably is supposed to pull you towards black. I don't know. I've, I've not loved it. 
But I think from descriptions in the Discord, I thought people were at it on it like A or something. I just don't think it's anywhere near that. No, I agree with you. Next up, we've got Prohibit. This is the one in a blue instant counter spell, counter target spell. If it's converted mana cost is two or less, and then you can pay four instead to counter target spell if it's converted mana cost is four or less. This is not a great card. It doesn't really ever let you get ahead on mana, and it's totally dead in the late game when your opponent's casting their five, six mana plays, and you have to really have it line up just perfectly to nab a two drop. I don't think this card is great, but it has already, shocker, soul crushed me the same way (laughs) (laughs) that every counter spell does. I had the single green suspend card that gives you two four four rhinos, oh, no. and my opponent just casually waited <laughs> around and prohibited my rare card that was going to win me the game on turn five. <laughs> Speaking of that rare card, you know the rare ninja that uh, when it hits your opponent, you exile the top two cards of your library and you can cast them? Yeah. You can cast that uh, suspend card that turn off that card. Oh my god, that's gross. Have you done that? I have done that. <laughs> Oh my god, that's filthy. Goblin Champion is a card that has impressed me. This is the single red 0-1 with haste and exalted. I haven't played with it yet, but I've seen it on the other side of the battlefield. I think specifically in red-black, where you have something to do with the body later in the game when it becomes maybe less relevant. But in a world where we're just like having a bunch of like staring contests with two twos, being able to turn your whatever, your persisting goblin and black into a 3-3 and then a 2-2 like the exalted really matters in the early turns of the game and then i think if you have a place to put that 0-1 or a place to use it or cash it in later i think that card really adds up to something that you might want to be playing i agree i've been consistently impressed by that guy on the other side of the battlefield and i do think there's also a mono red deck in this format as well we've seen some near mono red decks in the trophy section of the discord i think goblin champion is a key piece there as well but everything you're saying about that card says yes to me you remember what what was it it was from like some m set it was duty bound dead it was like a single black for an o2 with exalted and you can pay three and a black to regenerate it i do not know that card but shocking every time i'm like yeah well (laughs) this is like a version of that card you're like i've never heard of that card in my life (laughs) um anyway well that card existed and was really good and it wasn't really good because of the regenerate it was just like good to have a creature that had exalted because it could get in attacks early and then enable attacks with other creatures and i just think that this does all that for cheap Marasa Behemoth, four green green for a five five trample, and if you have a land card in the graveyard, it turns into an eight eight trample. Is keyword huge? As long as you can semi reliably get a land in the graveyard, some decks just cannot beat this card at the top of the curve because a lot of the removal doesn't match up super favorably with it. You really have to have like Mob or the White. What is it called? Settle from Reality. Yeah, Beyond Reality. Beyond Reality. Those cards. A lot of the cheap removal that is the best removal doesn't deal with Marasa Pimas. So I found this to be a great finisher at common, sort of Colossal Dreadmaw plus plus. Yeah, move over Colossal Dreadmaw for sure. So I think this is a great finisher at common for green decks, assuming you can get a land in the graveyard, which you can if you're picking the Harrow Druid highly or the Cycling Lands. There's there's ways to do it. Smiting Helix, this is three and a black for the sorcery to deal three to any target and gain three life, and it has flashback for red-white. This does not need to be flashed back to be a good card. This goes way too late in draft right now. I agree with that. I would also say Winding Way is a little overrated at the moment. So this is one in the green, and you choose creature or land, reveal the top four cards of your library, and put any number of the revealed creature or land, whatever you chose, into your hand, and the rest go in your graveyard. It's not guaranteeing you a card or guaranteeing you the cards that you want. I think it works in red-green okay as an enabler to put lands in your graveyard. I think it works okay in black-green you know, as a one-of in those decks, but I don't think this card is a super high pick. 
Yeah, I agree. I get so many people in Twitch chat telling me to take that from anywhere from like pick seven to 15 in each of the three packs. And I'm ne I'm like, we'll get one if we want it. We don't need to take it over literally anything. Fairy Seer is a card I've come up on a ton. Single blue for the 1-1 one, one flyer. And when it ETBs, you scry to. I think this card is a solid to good playable depending on what blue deck you're in everywhere but blue green you're not really excited about fairy seer in blue green but in blue black ninjas it's one of the best cards to enable your busted starts with the turn two ninjutsu and picking up the one mana thing and scrying two sort of feels like an advantage rather than a disadvantage for the ninjutsu deck because it's cheap enough and then you really get a discount on the ninjutsu plus you get the scry two when you replay the fairy so it's great there Blue red just values the flying body that can sort of chip in for damage and lets you set up your two card wombo combos because blue red's trying to really make these two to three card combos that deal large chunks of damage. And if you can chip in away at your opponent's life total, it does some work there. And then in blue white, you're happy with the early body and blinking that for scry two. I think that does just enough. It's a card that's on my radar now that was totally off my radar before talking to Alex last night. God, you know, listen to me. I told you that one mana one ones were good in this format. I know, I know. Uh, last on this list is Iceberg Kankrix. This is the one in a blue 04 snow permanent. And whenever another snow permanent enters the battlefield under your control, target player puts the top two cards of their library into their graveyard. This is the real deal. The blue green turbo mill deck that's a snow deck, I think is a real deck. I just am, again, as we said earlier in the episode, I think both of us are just off trying to draft this. It's too volatile. It has too many things that can go wrong during the draft for it to come together. So I'm just avoiding it right now. I do think it's a real deck. I mean, I'll do it if the Snowlands are wheeling. I just don't trust that the Snowlands are going to wheel. That's how I feel right now. I also don't trust that Snowlands wheeling in pack one means they're going to wheel in pack two and pack three. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. <laughs> All right, we've got uh, re-ranking of the top commons in each color here, and I think we're pretty much on agreement with all of these, we talked a little bit before the episode to make sure we we're on the same page. And I think uh, I think we've got a pretty good list here. And I think re-ranking these is going to help you and I out a lot. And yes. I think this is similar to where a lot of people in the Discord are that are doing very well in the format. Yeah. So white, I want to throw out honorable mention for Settle Beyond Reality. That's the four and a white sorcery. You can choose one or both to exile a creature your opponent controls and then exile a creature you control to then return it to the battlefield right away. I think I definitely want one of these in my white decks, but probably not more than one. Yeah, it's very powerful, but very clunky. You can't afford to have multiple five mana removal spells, I don't think, in this format. No. Number three, Enduring Sliver, one and a white for the 2-2 two -two and has Outlast 2 plus all Slivers gain Outlast 2. This is just a great two drop in any white deck and again has synergy across all the color pairs. You know, there's going to be Changeling. There's going to be stuff that comes up with your Enduring Slivers. And, but the thing about Enduring Sliver, and I think I think about a lot of the Slivers in the format, is that... If you have no other slivers and no other changelings, this is just a good card. Yep, I agree. A regular cohort is number two. That's two white white for the two two changeling that comes into play and makes another two two that is a changeling. And at number one, Rocks Veteran, three and a white for the two four with battle cry. So whenever it attacks, it gives each other attacking creature you control plus one plus oh. And when it attacks, tap target creature and opponent controls. I think this is one of the cards that makes it hardest for your opponent to block in the format and very good in almost any white deck. Moving on to blue, number three, we've got Ponder Mage, but really like any blue common. Maybe it's Reign of Revelation. I don't know if there's anything Might else. Might be the Avon, the Avon, Wind yeah, Cycler. Maybe, maybe Windcaller Avon, I don't know. There's a lot of good commons in blue. Uh, we're putting Ponder Mage here at number three, but I think it could be any of those other cards as well. In number two, this is a nod to really valuing cheap interaction, String of Disappearances, single blue for the instant, return target creature to its owner's hand, and then you can sort of do the chain lightning effect like I mentioned earlier. I think this card is great. I 
think the first copy is insanely important for any blue deck. I think the second copy is still good in any blue deck, and I would want access to a third in the sideboard, and I could even see playing three main deck in some blue decks and being happy about it. I think this is something that the Discord is ahead of on, and I think something that now you listeners will be ahead of on, and I am, because I'm seeing String of Disappearances going very, very late. So I think if this really is the second best blue common and you really are happy to run like two, maybe three copies of it, that that's going to be something we're going to get an edge on for sure. Number one, no surprise here, Mana War is busted. But it's even more busted than we thought it was busted. Yeah, I agree. I think, you know, at the start we would have said like, oh, so like maybe some like just cheap removal is better than this. Like, no, this is just the best common in the format. Moving on to black in the number three slot, we've got a little bit of a disagreement here. I've got Venomous Changeling, two in a black for the one three death touch with Changeling. I've got Putrid Goblin, one in a black for the 2-2 with Persist. And what leads you to the Goblin over the Changeling? Honestly, it comes down to the mana cost. Yeah, I hear that. I think I'm willing to pay one more mana for a card that blocks way better on the ground and is likely to give me a lot of synergy upside with slivers and things like that. Yeah, I mean, I think definitely I'm like on one and one versus two and zero, but I feel like faced with the decision, I might take Putrid Goblin higher, though I think Putrid Goblin and really maybe even Venomous Changeling. I think both of these cards are being underrated right now. I agree with that for sure. In number two, we've got Mob, four and a black for the instant, destroy target creature and has Convoke. Yeah, I was on this as number one black common, even up until right before we recorded when you told me I was I was all ready to make the argument like, but this is splashable and defile isn't and defile is our number one common. That's the single black to give target creature minus one minus one until end of turn for each swamp you control. But you made the great point that like you don't really want to be splashing in this format. Even the deck that wants to splash the most is green black. So like defile is still probably better there. Yeah, and I think just the cheapness, one mana versus five mana is huge. And yes, Mob has Convoke and you can make it one mana, but at the cost of tapping your whole team and, you know, you're you're leaving your stuff back, it's fairly obvious. Like I've blown opponents out by knowing that they were going to cast Mob just because they set up the board state a certain way. I think Defile just as one mana has to get the nod. At worst case, you know, Sasha said this when we were streaming. At worst case, it's probably Disfigure, single black for minus two, minus two, which is a very good card. And at its best case, it's insane. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that for sure. And I agree with the, the mob blowouts as well. I've done that so many times where I've been like, all right, passing with four untapped creatures and one land, and then I'm going to really get them when they alpha strike. And then they like just do something to just disrupt one of my creatures pre-combat. I'm like, oh, I lose. Yeah. Moving on to red in the number three slot, we've got Bogarden Dragonheart. That's two and a red for the two, two and has the ability to sacrifice a creature. When you do, it becomes a 4-4 flying hasty dragon. That's huge. You can play this as a 3-mana 4-4 flying haste. I don't know that that really triggered with me. Yeah, this card is nuts. I do want to give a slight honorable mention to Bladeback Sliver just because it's such a good 2-drop, but I do think Bogard and Dragonheart edges it out for sure. Yeah, I think Blade Black Sliver is probably number four for me right now. Uh, Magmatic Sinkhole is number two. That's the 5 and a red. Deal 5 target creature or Planeswalker with Delve. And in number one, Pyrophobia, one in a red, Sorcery Speed, deal three to target creature, and Cowards can't block this turn. That is the real deal. You have to have cheap removal. You have to have cheap interaction. In green, number three, we've got Savage Swipe. Hey, a Prey Upon variant made the top three after we reevaluated stuff. Look at that. That's a single green for a sorcery. Target creature you control gets plus two, plus two. If its power is two, and then it fights target creature you don't control. In the number two slot, we've got Mother Bear, one and a green for the 2-2, and you can exile Mother Bear from your graveyard for three green green to make two 2-2 two, two bear tokens. This card is very powerful. It's Soriform hybrid, yep. just with a little bit of a twist. 
And number one, trumpeting herd, two green green, sorcery, make a three three with rebound. Yeah, and I think sort of framing green as the least synergistic color pair makes these top commons make a lot more sense because trumpeting herd is raw power. And I was sort of thinking, well, maybe I'm not supposed to be picking trumpeting herd highly if it's a synergy format because there's not a lot of synergy with that card except for green white creature fall. But I think green just wants raw power. You want to curve out, you want to use removal, and you want to beat down. And all three of those top commons do that very well. And moving on to the top commons overall. Uh, Number five, we've got Trumpeting Herd. Number four, Mob. Number three, Defile. Number two, Pyrophobia. And number one, the man, the myth, the legend, Manowar. I'm kind of wondering if String of Disappearances should be in here, maybe over Mob or Herd, but that's probably a little aggro. Yeah, I don't know. I'm not I'm not quite there yet. I'm only, it's, it's sort of tough. Like, a lot of the stuff we're talking about, I'm like, my head knows this now, but my heart looks at this top five list, and I'm like, String of Disappearances? Really? Could, could get in on this list, but maybe that's true. I don't know. It might be a little aggro, but I think that's where my head is at in the format right now. And we might come back next week, and it might be totally different. This format is hard. It's difficult. And I don't think it's just you and I that are struggling with the format. I mean, even people that are doing well are saying the drafting part is hard. There's a lot going on here. It's really deep. There's tons of interactions. There's tons of synergies. I've lost matches, three matches that I can think of off the top of my head to just punting because I didn't take enough time to think about interactions or lines. Mm -hmm. There's a lot going on. Yeah, I've I've uh, thrown away a few games with some misplays as well. This format is very, very deep. I know that we had said we wanted to maybe do a sealed episode in preparation for folks are competing in DC next weekend. We unfortunately won't have that in time, but I think we will gather some sealed data for you at some point in this format because we know that there's a lot of Modern Horizons sealed at high level events and we want to try and get folks prepped for that for sure. So uh, we'll have some information for you in the coming weeks. But I think we're going to spend the summer, we've got a lot of stuff. I mean, course at 20 is just around the corner. So we're going to have really three formats to be messing around with in terms of bringing you folks information over the coming months. And that's an exciting place to be. Super exciting place to be. And we will not be solely focusing on Modern Horizons. We're going to touch back in with War of the Spark, probably maybe go over some bot drafting on War of the Spark, because I think that's where we can help the most folks out Yes, with War of the Spark right now, because I think most of the people that are playing War now are playing it on Arena, and most people that are on MTGO are probably jamming Modern Horizons, is my guess. Yeah, I think we can definitely devote probably an entire episode to bot drafting War of the Spark. And looking forward to doing that. We got a 50 takes episode we need to do for War of the Spark for Ooh. sure as well to settle things in. We got content galore coming your way. I'm looking forward to it. Absolutely. As well as that sweet, sweet Lords of Limited tea from Coalesce Apparel. Boom. All right. That's a great place to wrap us up. Thank you, as always, to Salty Pretzels for our intro and outro music. Make sure you give it a listen, folks. Come check out the content galore that Ben and I are creating on Twitch. I'm at twitch.tv slash Lord Tupperware. Ben is at twitch.tv slash Mr. Metronome. We're both under those same usernames on Twitter, and you can always tweet at the podcast at Lords of Limited. If you've got any feedback about the show or any questions, shoot us an email at lordsoflimited at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll catch you next week for another episode of Lords of Limited. Thanks, everybody. See you later.
got quite a few folks that we want to welcome to the fray this week. We want to welcome Larry. Titus 9. No. Titan 9. <laughs> Titan 9. Jonathan. Simon. Seisman. Seisman? Si- just Simon. Sebastian. <laughs> a little drunk there. <laughs> God, I'm the worst. <laughs> Molly. Will P. Tom. Wow, you got, you got me going. <laughs> I can't even read names. Oh my gosh. All right. 